0: Bridging Gaps, the business podcast with Deborah Levitt, sharing the challenges and stories of fellow business owners. Hello, this week's guest is Amanda C. Watts. Amanda is a number one authority on A grade client attraction strategies for accountants and CPAs. She's the founder of the British Accounting Marketing Awards, a best selling author and speaker. Amanda, how are you? I'm really well. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm super excited. I'm very excited to have you here. and really looking forward to hearing about your, well, your journey to where you are, your latest book, and and really just getting to know you a bit better. So, Amanda, I know that you work with mainly accountancy firms at the moment, and you've just released a book. And I just, it'd be great if you could just tell us a little bit about, you know, where you are now with your career um, and what's happening.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I run an agency uh, called 22 Agency, and it specializes in helping accounting practices inject a marketing engine into their business that drives practice growth. And we have niched with accountants because my dad's a tax technician. And uh, one thing that uh, him and I were talking about a couple of years ago was how the accounting profession is changing and how this injection of technology really is now starting to affect them. It was predicted 10 years ago it was going to affect them. But actually this year and you know, in the past couple of years, we've seen a huge uh, approach in cloud technology and it means that where an accountant used to be in control of the relationship with their clients they're no longer in control because we're actually believing that we're self-empowered and we don't need the profession anymore they're very commoditized prices driving down so talking to my dad um, he was like Amanda you are helping so many people with marketing how can we get you to help the accountants so i, I worked with a few of them realized actually i really like them and went okay I'm gonna specialize in helping accountants and and uh, really enable them to get through this stage, which is brand new to them a little bit scary a little overwhelming and they really don't like marketing very much they think it's a little bit like snake oil and they're a little bit wary of it so with my personality I'm like right I'm coming in I'm shaking up the industry um so it's working it's great I- I'm loving it it's it's hard work it- it's you know trying to get my message through to them uh, can be very hard work others are very you know the pioneering accountants are the ones that are embracing it um but I love a challenge nobody likes to have an easy life <laughs> <laughs>
0: And do you find because you know obviously we've got those perceptions of accountants and um and I actually know a number of accountants who do not fit this stereotype at all, but but it is kind of that staid, you know, stick in the mud, very well possibly boring, and uh you know just I I work with my numbers and that's what's important do you find that you're you're hitting those stereotypes and that they're the ones who are finding this most challenging or do you find that the stereotypes really are completely out of date now okay so I would say on the surface the stereotypes are definitely there
1: but when someone like me comes along and's like, hey, I'm not going to shake your hand, I'm going to give you a hug, it kind of shakes out that stereotypical way and they go, okay, great. So I am a bit of Marmite for the industry, they either love me or they don't, but what I'm really finding is I know my dad is the funniest person I've ever met. I know he's got the best personality out there, Um, but he doesn't look like that when he dresses up and goes to work and is a tax man, okay? So I know that all these accountants are no different from you and I. They are hilarious. Do you know, some of the best accountants I work with, they do triathlons at weekends. You know, they've got massive parties and massive group of friends and they are traveling the world and doing exciting things. So I think that, you know, the way that we imagine, because I remember my dad used to carry a suitcase, a briefcase to work every single day he looked like a tax man but actually underneath it all they're just the same as you and i and i think it's really sad that they're put in a box and i have so much fun making sure that they take it out of that box and then they realize this is who they who they are and actually they can relax around me and making them laugh and enjoying the relationship with them because i'm a, everything i do is about relationships so making them laugh and enjoying that relationship with them. Yeah, no, they're not stereotypical. I think that we're we're quite mean, and I don't think that that's necessary necessarily the truth anymore. Well, so it's not the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: and as I said, you know, the people that I know are, are don't fit that stereotype. They are very, you know, relaxed and and different. So it's interesting to hear that, as you say, when you get under the skin, and and I think just the way the world of business is these days as well, a lot of that that formality is slipping away and it is becoming more about being yourself and relationships and, um, you know, having a sense of humour and, and being able to share that rather than, oh, no, it's professional, we're, we're not allowed to smile.
1: Yeah, but what I would say is, yes, the world is getting less formal, But one of the reasons why I chose to work with accountants is because you can take the girl out of corporate, but you can't take corporate out of the girl. And actually I am quite formal. And although I'm very friendly, I like things to be done in a proper way. So, you know, I like emails that are written a certain way. I like people being polite. I like to dress up and make sure that I look smart. You know, when I stand at the front of the room and I'm wearing jeans, I still have in the back of my head, I'm wearing jeans and I'm giving a presentation. It just doesn't, you know, I feel. Feel like i should be wearing a trousers or a skirt and i think that i am very corporate and um, working with accountants enables me to still be corporate because everybody says that you know when you start a business it's great because you can be a creative and you can relax but actually i personally don't believe that you know wearing slovenly clothes and not dressing up properly and you know having this relaxed uh, environment doesn't necessarily breed the best environment for excellence. So it, it fits well with me that the industry and the profession fits really well with me, because although I am super friendly and like those relationships, I still believe that one should be professional.
0: Yes, and bringing that professional, professionalism to absolutely. what you deliver is absolutely important. And, absolutely. Um, and I know exactly what you mean about having emails that are written properly and that sort of thing, because sometimes you get, what did I had? I had one recently, which was a cold selling one, and it said, dear sir. And, you know, and you look at it and you just think, well, you just lost me. You know, you probably had lost me anyway. But the reality is I didn't read beyond Dear Sir, because I clearly couldn't be bothered to even do any bit of checking. Yeah, absolutely. So it's
1: that kind of thing. And I think that the way I teach uh, how to do marketing and the way I teach about business growth is very professional. When you get past the fact that I'm a little bit bubbly and I'm a little bit, you know, a little bit friendly but it's it's still there the professionalism is still there and I I like to have my boxes ticked and I like it all to be done in a certain way
0: and I think there's something about the consistency as well by doing things in a, a certain way especially when you're getting down to the work aspects of it that's what makes you know that you've done it you know so for example for the podcasts I I started off very informally, kind of thinking, "Oh, I'll just start a podcast." And very quickly, within actually, I think that the first or second person who'd said yes they would come on it realized that actually I needed to to have a process in place. And it took me a few. Goes to get it, but I do now go in. I've got a a checklist of what I need to do for each person before the interview, after the interview, Uh, and that makes a difference between me having a mad panic at 7:30 on a Sunday evening, going, "Oh my God, is it ready to go out yet?"
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's something really key for the people who are listening is that having the systems and the processes in place will actually make your life easier not more difficult and the thought of having to put together the the systems and the checklist makes people go oh i can't be bothered that's hard work i'll just wing it but actually the loss of sleep the mistakes and the fact that you don't actually move things forward and get slicker and get smarter as you're doing it It's the wrong way to approach it. If you're doing something more than once, it needs a process.
0: Yes. And and I I believe as well that what people often focus on are the things that they do every day, which it is important to have a a process for. But equally, the things that you only do, you know, once a month, once a quarter, once a year are even more important because otherwise, every time you go back to it, you have to relearn because you can't remember what worked so well last time. Yes. So yeah. And I think that we, if we're,
1: because I know that our listeners are people that maybe are looking to either start a business or have recently started a business. And I think that the first thing that maybe they're, they're thinking they need to do is create a business plan. Um, you know that's that's kind of the given oh I want to start a business let me create a business plan Um, and whilst you and I probably know that's not the first thing that they need to do that's what most people will go out and do and what I would suggest is having just a one-page plan that they complete every three months that enables them to see you know what are their next 90-day goals what are their next month things that they need to do to reach their 90-day goals and what do they need to do this week to enable them to achieve that what they want to achieve in the next month and if they can just get a one-page sheet of paper with 90 days one month and uh, this week's, uh, steps that they need to take. That's, that's a process. And if they complete that every 90 days and they keep on top of what they need to do every single week, like get a post-it and put it out every single week of what they need to achieve. That's a great process to start with It will help them grow their business and move it forward very quickly.
0: Well, and and it makes you focus on the key things of what do I want to achieve in this time? Because what I see is a lot of people get very overwhelmed. They, they, you know there's so much that everybody's telling them they need to do they need to do a business plan you have to have a website you have to do marketing you have to do this and and there's so much I think you have this in your book about stop consuming there's so many webinars there's so much information out there and and you take it all on and then you're you're now in in a panic because you think oh my god I've got to do all of this stuff and I can't whereas as you said having a very you know simple plan about what do I need to achieve and working towards that helps you to filter out all of that that noise
1: absolutely and i think something that you say um, you say about stop consuming uh, if i can give your listeners one piece of advice it would be find one person that resonates with them that they can learn from and just learn from that one person don't learn from 20 people because if you learn from 20 people you're going to have 20 different ideas which means you're going to try and implement 20 different things Find one person that you like the way they market, you like their voice, because you've got to listen to them if you're going to be learning from them. You like the way they write, you like their ideas, and master them. Don't master 20 people a little bit, master one people, one people, one person, really, really deeply. Um, and I think that, that if, if someone had told me that at the beginning, I wouldn't have spent all this time going to hundreds of webinars learning from the latest thing that I see pop up in my LinkedIn or my Facebook timeline and I would have saved myself years so I would definitely recommend that definitely recommend
0: that it, that, that is excellent advice because as you say you can listen to so many and and not only are you trying to learn different things quite often they're conflicting yeah. And, and so then you're, you're, you know, hang on, so and so told me to do this, and, and the other person has told me to do this, and the third person is this. And then that just adds to the overwhelm and the pressure that we, we pile on ourselves. So, absolutely, so. absolutely I agree with you
1: 100% on that one.
0: So, Amanda, you had a corporate career before you moved out to, to start yourself. What were you doing when you were in corporate?
1: So, when I was in corporate, I was running exhibitions all over the world. So, it was before children. Uh, I was in my 20s, and I had a pretty nice life. Well, it looked like I had a pretty nice life. So uh, I was traveling around. I was on planes. I was living in Brussels. I was over in the UK. I was going over to France. I was everywhere. And on the surface, it looked like a really glamorous job. I was organizing exhibitions. I was buying exhibitions for this company, and we were then buying them, improving them, and then selling them on. And what was really exciting was the the beginning part, the looking for a new exhibition and, you know, seeing the opportunities that are there. But then I would get really, really bored um, because I, I'm a bit of a starter and, you know, you have lots of I, I'm not a complete finisher. I'm a starter. That's, that's pretty much most entrepreneurs, really, because then they need to get someone else to finish the job because they've come up with the ideas. Uh, but the other thing as well, when I was in corporate was that uh, it was 20 years ago now which is really scary when you think about it um but 20 years ago we still had this uh men ruled corporate and us women still had that glass ceiling and I know that we still have a little bit of it now but it was even worse then and if I left at 11 o'clock at night uh one of the guys who I would work with uh would turn around and go thanks for popping in Uh, you know because he was there even later than me and there was a lot of pressure to be the first in and last out and if you weren't the first in and last out you were seen as not committed to your job you know it was i was working on commission based as well so you know if i if i wasn't there i wasn't earning the money now i earn very good money in corporate but um when i talk about in my book escape i talk about escaping the rat race and starting a business i didn't have that opportunity entrepreneurialism wasn't uh, the done thing. Then nobody really thought about starting their own business. So I went and had children. I was like, okay, well, how do I escape this this life that is making me unhappy? I feel very burnt out. I feel under pressure. I was 27 years old and felt like I'd done an entire, you know, life of corporate. Uh, so I found myself a husband and had babies. Um, but the problem is, is that's a temporary escape. And uh unfortunately, because it was all part of the escape, I-, I wasn't happy in my marriage, so ended up getting divorced and I was a single mom And I had two options, go back to corporate, or well, I had three options, go back to corporate, stay on housing benefit, because I ended up on housing benefit, um, or start my own business. Now, fortunately, 10 years ago, starting your own business was starting to become the done thing. So I went, fine, I'll start my own business. Um, but it wasn't very easy. <laughs> I made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> So, yeah, so that's how I went from stressed out corporate to starting my own business. It wasn't a smooth transition, I tell you that much.
0: And and how did you (laughs) find that transition? Because it must have been really difficult difficult. to go from being so successful to, you know, so in your corporate, as you said, you were doing really well, really successful, to, to then being on housing benefit, to have gone through that transition and then making a decision to start your own business, which in itself, it is not an easy thing to do. It's not, you know, flick a switch and now I'm a successful businesswoman. <laughs> nice as it would be. <laughs> so, so how did you you manage that challenge? Did you find that there were things that you did to support you, I guess, almost emotionally and, and mentally to, to help you through that, that dip? Yeah, I
1: think that um, as people I think that we need to understand that inside some of us is the um, it's deeply ingrained that we can overcome adversity inside some of us. Naturally, we're we're blessed. So um, I've had uh, not a particularly easy life. I've always been very spontaneous. So I've always made my life difficult. Spontaneous lives. are You you have a lot more failures than people who live in, in the in the safe world. Um, And I I would say that one of the reasons why I found being spontaneous easy um, and one of the reasons why I probably tried more things than the average person is because of the safety net that I have with my family and my friends. And I think because of this safety net, I always knew that if I failed, I would still be loved and I would still be okay, and I would always have someone that I can turn to. And that enabled me to make decisions, maybe probably not as deeply as I should. I gave it a go, I winged it, I tried it, I jumped. I didn't really look before I jumped, I just leaped. And I think that that coupled, so, so I think that ingrained inside you is an entrepreneur already uh, for some people. And if you've got a support network, um that enables you to have the success as well or to try new things some people will be listening to this and go well that's not me what what am i going to do and i would say it can be learned okay and you can find a family so don't be scared so you can learn how to have that entrepreneurial spirit so you can learn from books you can learn from mentors you can learn from coaches if you think and you believe that you want something enough you will overcome so any 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 big enough uh how Uh, why sorry any big enough why you will find the how to overcome it okay then when we talk about you know I was very lucky that I had the family and friends you can find a network of people that will support you there are groups of entrepreneurs out there that are going through exactly the same thing if you belong to a church and you feel that you want to you know share with your church that you want to try this new route they will support you you know Find people out there that can support you. You know, as as you and I know, both both, uh, have been mentored by Daniel Priestley and he talks very much about environment dictates performance. So make sure you're surrounding yourself by the right people. So, So for me, I think naturally I'm blessed because I had that in place anyway, my personality and my family and friends. But for those who don't have that, you can learn and just surround yourself with the right people and you will get through it. Some people aren't cut out for it. So if you feel that, you know, it's not going to work, there is nothing wrong with going back to corporate. There is nothing wrong with working in the corporate world. Everybody makes starting a business look like this holy grail and that you should be doing it. Actually, there's something quite nice having four weeks holidays paid and not having to work seven days a week, 25 million hours a day. Okay, so it isn't always an easy option. Actually, it's never an easy option to start your own business.
0: Exactly. I think that answered your question. Yes, it does. Yes. And and it's something that has come up um, fairly consistently with other people as well is having that, that network of people around, whether it was already in existence or whether they put it in place. And a lot of people I know have also found that while the family and friends gave them the safety net and the support in terms of you know knowing that they were there for them what they didn't necessarily have was the understanding and yes. and that you you sometimes end up with people either going why don't you just go and get another job or you know you're you're bound to fail why are you giving up And that finding other entrepreneurs who understand and are going through that or have been through it makes a really big difference in the support as well because they know where you're coming from and and that's been it's been important for me it's been important for a number of people that i've interviewed
1: i think it's really it's really sad and i've had it i've lost two very good friends on my entrepreneurial journey Um, One of them was a good friend of mine when the children were growing up. So um, her boy and my boy, they'd hang out together and we would see each other. And, you know, we were both. We didn't have very much money and we would, you know, we'd spend every day together. We'd catch up and have a cup of tea. And, you know, it it was lovely. It it was a nice life at that time. But then when I started my business and it started to take off, I got busy. So she she would text me and say, do you want a cup of tea? And I'm like, I can't. I'm working. Um, And in the end, she was like, this is ridiculous you have no time for me and i I was like i'm really sorry i'm trying to get off housing benefit i'm trying to make my life better um and in the end she was like go scratch i'm not even coming you know we were getting married and she was like i'm not coming to your wedding i'm not i'm not interested anymore Uh, and it was very sad and i do still think about it um but i I have to accept that that was her choice and she didn't understand what I was going through and I wasn't put on this earth to play a small game. I was put on this earth to play a big game. Um, and then conversely, like my best friend, who has been my best friend for 20 years, Pascal, um, she has a little bit of an entrepreneurial mindset. She's very, very passionate about you know doing more with her life and she wants to succeed. So she, instead, if I'm stressed out, she's like, well, I'm here to talk to you. Uh, if not, you know, let's brainstorm some ideas and please don't worry, you're busy. I totally understand. So they're the people that you want around you is the ones that understand the journey that you're going on. But it's nothing is sadder than losing, you know, one of your closest friends because you've decided that you want to do something. It's very sad, very sad.
0: And and it is true that people, as you say, they come from different places and they don't necessarily understand where it is that you're trying to go to, and and they can't always be there and support you through it. And there's something that I've heard a long time ago. And I see it occasionally as well that, you know, some people come in your lives to stay and some people come in your life to, you know, just they're there for a reason for a particular point in time. And then they go. And and I think it's embracing that even when it's sad that you see them go, but going, okay. well, actually, they were there for a reason. They've helped me or I've helped them. And now we move forward. But it doesn't take away that. Um I guess that gap for a while that they've left, and the, and that that feeling and caring that you had for them
1: absolutely, and I think that we have to just accept that that's the situation. Um, We can't look back. We have to look forward. As entrepreneurs, we constantly have to look forward because we fail quite a lot if we look back. (laughs) Um, And uh, we just have to accept it. It's all about being resilient.
0: Resilience is key. You have to be. If you want to run your own business, you have to be resilient. Yes, you need to be able to keep just going forward, even when it's looking like it's not happening. Um, So when you started, you decided to start your own business. How did you how did you figure out what you wanted to do? Because you were, as you said, you were doing events. So so you were obviously, um, you know, very involved with those, but it sounds more like it, it was almost the sale and the running of them rather than the marketing of them. Is that correct? Yeah.
1: What I When I started my business, I, I didn't know really what to do. I knew I loved marketing, uh, but I didn't know modern marketing. So as uh, I launched my business, it was and. End of 2008, beginning of 2009, which was nine years ago. That's really scary. Um, So when I launched the business, I saw that marketing was changing. It was where we were having a lot of digital newsletters. Social media had just come in, but I didn't know anything about it. Um, So I was saying about how my family supports me. I said to mom, I was like, what can I do to make some money? I have an option to go and get a job and get paid minimum wage between the children, because the children were still young, uh, between children going to and from school. Or I can, you know, find a way to get paid some money. And Mum said, "Well, why don't you, you know, why don't you be a copywriter?" And I was like, "But mum, I can't spell. Um, I can write, but I can't spell." And mum was like, "That's okay. I'll proofread everything. You just get the business because you, you know, you're good at going out and getting business." So mum worked for me for free, and basically ghost wrote a lot of what I did, um, and I would get paid for it. And that's, you know, she she helped me and supported me. So I started off copywriting, and soon it, I realised that charging twenty five pound for a piece of Copy, which might take me four or five hours to write and work with mum, was not a way to get rich. And actually, I was earning less than minimum wage. Now, I then started to leverage social media to get clients so as I was leveraging social media I was like this is really exciting I like this it's becoming really easy for me and at the time I was living in Wiltshire and nobody had really embraced social media nobody was really doing it so I made it my mission to become the go-to social media person in Wiltshire and I got known as the social media queen I aligned myself with uh, the publishers the key publishers so the Salisbury Journal Um, I aligned myself with the key Um radio station and I went to lots of networking events. I let my personality come out. So I was very much about building my personal brand and I would train people how to use social media. And then I realized actually I could charge good money for that. Um, So I would run events. I I launched a tweet up in Salisbury and it all went brilliantly. And then I got hungry and wanted more. So that's when I sought out uh, to learn how to grow my business and uh you know and the rest is history
0: so how did you approach that learning more and and taking that next step so you're now doing some copywriting you're helping people to to do their marketing and teaching them how did you mm-hmm. then progress forward so Uh,
1: Everything in life happens for a reason. So I love social media. I'm on LinkedIn. And I knew that to get more copywriting clients, I needed to reach out to someone who had a list of clients that I could maybe do some work for. So I sent a message to a gentleman in Croydon. So at the time I was living in uh, Wiltshire, sent a message to a gentleman, uh, not in Croydon, in Caterham, uh, who ran a web design company. And his name, name was Clive. And he ran a web design company called Paramount and I sent him a message and I was like are you looking for a copywriter for your clients to write web copy and he was like oh your time is very fortuitous come up and have a meeting so I got in the car I traveled an hour and 20 minutes had a meeting with him and whilst I was meeting with him he brought out a book and the book was called key person of influence And I said to him, that's interesting. He said, yes, I've just started a program called Key Person of Influence. And I was like, oh, I would like to do that. And then I found out the price of it. And I'm like, hmm, I'm still on housing benefit. How am I going to afford this? So I had a meeting with uh, Andrew, who I know has been on your podcast, Andrew Priestley. I had a Skype meeting with him and he told me about it and told me that I could pay for it monthly over the the course of it. And I just went and I I told you I was spontaneous. Uh, I went, oh, yeah, I might be on housing benefit. I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to invest all my money. It will be fine. I'll make money. So I did the course and I learned a lot. Um, There was a lot that I got from the program that other people don't get from the program because I'm naturally that way inclined with marketing. So everything that I learned, I ran with and had massive. It took me seven months and I had a massive uh, uplift in in my business and managed to get off housing benefit in seven months. Um, So some of that was key person of influence, but I know some of it also was the fact that I am really quick to take action. I take massive action and uh, my personality. So I uh, launched into a new niche, which was helping uh, the restaurant trade. Uh, with marketing but the problem is when you work with restaurateurs doesn't matter how many clients you get through the doors if their service is rubbish and if their food is rubbish and they're you know they have a bad reputation you're not going to be able to market their business so I was working with an industry where my livelihood relied on how well their business was functioning in-house and it didn't work so I very quickly had to change my niche and that's when I started working with uh, coaches and consultants and health and wellness practitioners and working with them probably as they started their business. Um, and that, that was like my journey. And then um, until I started working with the accountants, you know, that, that's pretty much where I sat. And I just learned like every day, like this morning, I'm, I'm drying my hair, um, you know, I'm getting ready. I'm putting my makeup on and I'm listening to podcasts. I'm learning new stuff every day. I spend maybe two hours a day learning about my market. Uh, learning about marketing, learning how to get better at it. Uh, So I think that 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 has a big impact on the success of my business too.
0: So it's the continual focus on, I guess, improving your skills and building your skills and understanding what the people are that you're working with are looking for or may not know they're looking for, but you can see that they're lacking. Would that be correct? Yeah, absolutely. And I think
1: that uh, if we talk about uh, mastery, so 10,000 hours of mastery. Uh, I've definitely got 10,000 hours of marketing mastery, but the problem with technology is that it's technology and it changes all the time. Um, Now, uh, you know, you've got the thing, you've got to be on Facebook, advertising on Facebook. You need an ebook. You need to be doing events. You need to be having meetings. You need to be doing pay-per-click. You need to be doing all these things. My mission is to continue to hone down on what people should be doing and get rid of all the stuff they shouldn't be doing. Um, But it's also about describing how to do the right marketing in a way that resonates with them. Um, so I'm learning from people, uh, how to make sure that I resonate. I, I love psychology. Um, one of the reasons my son is doing an A-level in psychology is because I want to learn more about it. I'm like, yes, do psychology. I'll help you with that. (laughs) I I see it as a massive growth spurt for me over the next two years, because I want to do A-level psychology. So, you know, it's that kind of thing. So that's what I mean by mindset. It's about, you know, just knowing that you're not the best because there is no best And making sure that you do everything every day to become the best and then you will succeed.
0: And did you when you wrote the book Escape and sorry, I'm just looking over at it, which is why you can see me glancing over. But you you've called it being a freedom preneur and and how people come to to grow their business and Mm -hmm. and to take some of those marketing steps, some of that action that you've you've described. It is. I guess what made you decide to write a book and and how did you how did you approach it? It's something I think a lot of people think about, but aren't yeah. you know sure where to go or how to start.
1: well, as you as you as you know, I've written two books. So we'll talk about escape, but I'll also talk about the second one because it was a completely different experience. so, um, and actually, I've written three books because I wrote one for the restaurant trade. and I wrote this book, and by the time I had written it, Um, The first draft was out of date, because I had gone far too deep into the tactics of writing a book. So what I was doing was like, this is how you post on social media, this is the platform that you need to be on, this is what you need to be doing. And because I had become too technical, it was null and void by the time I'd finished writing it. I also wrote that book, Um, maybe two hours a day, I would dedicate to write the book, I would sit down and go, right, this is my writing book time. And um, I, I fell out of love with the book, because I felt that I really had to do this every single day. And it's like, oh, this is exhausting. I really don't like it. So that was the first book. That was the restaurant marketing book. Scrapped it. Um, I've still got it. It's still sat in a file. Um, my husband loves the restaurant trade. So I'm like, take my book, do something with it, you know, go for it kind of thing. Uh, whether he does, we'll we'll see. So the second book is Escape. Escape was completely different. I wrote that book when it felt right. Okay. So uh, I had been working with people, helping them escape their day job, start their business. I've been doing it for three years. And Only when I had a methodology I knew worked, only when I had my own language and wasn't regurgitating other people's, and only when I really wanted to write, did I sit down and write the book. Okay, so at the end of it, I had a book that at the time I was very pleased with, now I'm not so pleased with it. Okay? But that's okay because, you know, you're looking back, it's it's got something like 32 five-star reviews on Amazon. So people like it. It's just me personally, I'm super judging. But I I wrote it so so to answer your question, first one I squeezed out and hated it. Second one I wrote uh when the time was right, and the third one I wrote to position myself in the marketplace really fast. Okay? But I wrote it after mastering my art. So I didn't write it as I was learning. I wrote it after I had practiced and practiced and practiced what I said. I have my own methodology. I've got trademarked IP. I've come up with so much that I have more than enough to put in a book. So one of my friends owns a beautiful house up in Dali, uh, in Dali Wood, um, which is up in Derbyshire. And she said to me, it's like a mansion. It's gorgeous. She said, why don't you just go and stay at the house for a week? And I said, yeah, I'm going to go for a week. I'm going to write my book. Three and a half days later, I'd written my book. So I would get up. So I arrived on the Monday. Uh, Monday afternoon, I started writing. Um, I would then get up on Tuesday morning. I wrote I had an hour's break for lunch. I wrote a bit more. I went for an hour long walk. I wrote a bit more. And then I watched crap TV in the evening. Um, then I got up the next day and then I finished it. So three and a half days later, I had written twenty eight thousand words typing up just de-junking everything with my methodology so in a week I had a book I gave it to a copy editor which cost me about a thousand pounds to copy edit it um I've got my my designer designed my front cover she's the same designer that designed the first one um so she designed that um which was absolutely wonderful and then I would say so I wrote it in January and it was out I got it out in April, didn't I? So I had a big gap before I went back and had a look at it. But it took me probably about a week and a half to write
0: from start to finish. Which so. is amazing. And I guess that does just show the the difference it makes if you really know what you're going to say, able to just get it down and it's just there in your head without you having to go and research or look other things up. So that one is called The Pioneering Practice. And is that aimed... I'm, at accountants, I'm sorry, I'm assuming from the word practice, but Absolutely. So it's specifically for accountants. Um,
1: but actually, my brother-in-law's a plumber um, and he's reading it at the moment. And he's like, I'm just taking out the word accountant and putting in the word plumber and it still works. Because actually, there is no there's no magic pills with marketing. It's you have to do certain things to get it to work. And it, there's no industry that is void of marketing. There's no industry that has this certain kind of methodology that no other industry has. Um, but one thing that I teach is that you have to have a niche because otherwise, if you try and market to everyone, you resonate with no one. So this book was written for my accounting practice niche. And it doesn't mean to say because I also self published it doesn't mean to say that actually, I could go in, take the word accountant, copy, um, copy and paste uh, another word in and then upload it with a new, a new title, and it would be relevant for for other industries. Um, But I think that for your listeners, I think the most important thing is to see that the journey. So we're talking about making the leap and starting a business. Eight years in, I have two successful businesses because I've been on a journey and it took time. And I really would love them to understand that. You know, writing a book in three and a half days is not easy. It's no way I could have done it back in 2009.
0: It just wouldn't have happened. And and it's that experience and that knowledge and everything that you've gained along the way, which has enabled you to be there. And and I think that's the other thing is, is that 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 time that it takes to be successful is sometimes really hard to see because we do tend to you know we see somebody and they just suddenly appear and we we tend to think oh well they've done it really quickly and some people have but the reality is that for the most part it does take time to establish it takes time to figure out what your niche is yeah and absolutely yeah, and how to speak to people. And and for a lot of people, I think it also takes time to accept that you do need a niche, because there, there's, there's that feeling that actually, if I only focus on accountants, there's this whole world of plumbers and other people that I could be talking to, and I'm excluding them. And, 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 and Learning even though you know and I've been told this by by numerous people um that you need to niche and and learning that they're not telling you because they're trying to exclude you from a market or for any reason other than if you know who you're talking to you can resonate with them and Absolutely. yeah, and I know when I started that was really difficult and and I see other people who are going you know exactly well, I don't want to eliminate and it's, it's you're not eliminating you're focusing. Absolutely. I use a term called
1: hunting niche. Okay. So a hunting niche is where you focus your marketing. So, you know, inside you that you can work with other people. Um, I work with so many different kinds of people. I work with florists. I work with jewelers. I work with mortgage brokers. I work with people who are coaches and consultants. But all of my marketing and how I show up is for specifically accountants. And that is my hunting niche. Now, when people can get their head around that, you know, you're not excluding everyone, you're just hunting with your marketing, you're just writing marketing for that specific market, it makes it so much easier. And you can have a hunting niche for three months, you can have a hunting niche for three years, you can have it for 30 years, it doesn't matter. But if you go in going, this is just focusing my marketing, that makes it much, much easier, because then you can still work with other people if that's what you would like
0: to do. And as you say, it gives you that feeling that I'm not excluding. It's just, this is who I'm targeting at the moment. And and you didn't, as you said, you didn't even start off with accountants. You discovered that through the conversation with your father and, and realizing how much the restaurant business was out of your control and, and you couldn't yeah. necessarily make sure that they were That's, successful. You to, yeah, you have to fail. Um, and when I decided to
1: go from... Uh, focusing solely on startups and going to accountants, I knew that um, my personality, one of the reasons why I was drawn to startups is because I'm a quick starter. So I love helping people start a business. But the thing is, is I needed to be able to part with my experience after you've had a business established for a while, because I've now had a business established for a while. So where I teach the startups to get to their first hundred K, Um, You know, I had so much more left to give. So I felt that my hands were tied. But there's no way I could have worked with accountants at the beginning of my journey because I hadn't experienced it. And I do believe that you have to experience it in my industry anyway, not everybody's industry. But in my I can't teach marketing unless I know how to market uh, something and get the money uh, from a bigger practice. Do you know what I mean?
0: Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, in, in theory. I could teach marketing so sorry this is I'm not saying that I can but but you know if you looked at the practicality I know how to go into Facebook and put a post on I know how to do an ad I know how to put a tweet out but it's not the mechanics that you're teaching it's the the how do you target the right people it's all of those other aspects isn't it
1: Yes, that's right. And I didn't know that uh, when I first started. I started with copywriting, went to social media, and then grew and learned and grew and learn and grew. And, learned. You know, and I've spent a lot of time with Daniel Priestley and learning from Daniel. And that's where I say, find that one person. And then once I, um, not necessarily outgrown Daniel, because there's still a lot that you can learn from him. But I, I then went on to another gentleman called Taki Moore, um, who I absolutely love. He's an Australian. Um, he taught me how to be more strategic, so he taught me how to teach in boxes. He taught me how to teach what I knew. Um, and I'd be forever grateful to him. And I will continue to work with him for as long as possible, um, because he's he's taken my my teaching to the next level, because it doesn't matter how much you learn. If you are in the information business where you're teaching people things, you've got to learn how to teach it in a way that people understand it, too. Um, you know, you, it's it's so important. So different people at different stages in your journey.
0: Excellent, excellent advice. Thank you. And as you mentioned, you've got two children, one of whom Hi. is doing A level psychology so that you can learn more about it. Well, he's not doing it yet. He starts it in September. So he's I literally started his GCSEs today. Um, but we chose his A levels a couple of weeks ago. And it's like, that's the one that you're going to be doing. <laughs> um, and you've got your husband, Matthew. So, how do you balance your two businesses, the speaking, the events, the you know, the the working with your clients and with your family life and managing to, as we talked about before, at least maintain a pretense of sanity. (laughs) Absolutely. So uh,
1: the first book is about escaping and becoming a freedompreneur. Back in 2016, I took uh, the whole of the summer off and we went over to Florida and we went to Disney World and we stayed over there for a month And it was just the four of us. And it was amazing. Um, I think that that's where the sanity comes in, is making sure that you have downtime. I have to be 100% honest with you. Being in the new niche, we're only a year and a half into this new niche. uh, I work nights and I work weekends. Um, So I have to take time off. We went out on Saturday. Uh, My son was doing um, indoor skydiving um so we went and took him to that the moment we came home i started work again um but i took time out and spent the morning with him how do you balance it it is hard anyone that tells you that you can have a great work-life balance when you're starting a business is someone that has a lot of money backing them or they don't want to necessarily make a lot of money um so it is hard to balance it all uh, husband works in the business so i spend all day with him which is great um wonderful Um, (laughs) but uh we we spend a lot of time together it's it's we get wake-up calls you know we get the ones where we're like actually we we haven't spoken about anything but work for three months it's time for us to go out and do something fun um but uh there is no magic pill uh i work blooming hard it's in my my body um people say have downtime i can't have downtime because if you give me downtime i'm bored So, you know, I sneakily listen to podcasts Uh, every time I get in the car. If I haven't got the children in the car, I'm learning um, because I'm listening to podcasts. So um, I think that you'll have a lot of people on here that talk about work life balance and, you know, stop work at five o'clock and take weekends off and schedule your holidays. That's fine. But as you're growing a business, it's not always practical. Um, And I had burnout. So and then I was off for four months and then I got back on the horse.
0: And so when when you had burnout, that was in running your own business. Yep that was at the
1: beginning of last year so we're in 2018 so beginning of 2017 uh November 2016 it started to hit me I had January, February, March, April where I was pretty much bedridden because I'd worked too hard um rested for those four months fortunate that the business carried on uh because of the way I'd set it up so I'd been pretty savvy in how um I'd set it up and then I just got back on the horse and uh started again (laughs) so so
0: so do you think that you're you're gonna head back to burnout or do you think that you've learned from some of the things that led you to it last year and that you're going to be able to prevent it or manage it more manage things better this time
1: it's really hard because um I do have downtime and I, I have found myself watching rubbish tv and too much netflix because I have in the back of my head I've got to have time to switch off Um, but whilst I'm switching off, I'm not happy because I'm not doing what I love. I like to be working. Um, So I do have more downtime now than I previously have. I have watched more box sets in the past year than I've ever watched in my life, Um, but it doesn't make me happy. So it's really hard. Um, So I think that eating well is important. I think exercise is important. Um, I definitely think that holidays are very important because that's not watching Netflix um but actually uh walks along the the sea are important because that's taking time out i can still be creative in my head even if i'm away from the screen um but anyone who says it's easy to have downtime when you're addicted to being an entrepreneur um i think is very hard and i i get bored i get bored when i'm trying to relax it's boring <laughs>
0: <laughs> so do you find or have you found anything that that you can do that's relaxing you know so for example one of the things I'm trying to get back into which has you know various challenges for me for various reasons uh, is horseback riding and oh, and no. I find for that if you keep mentioning getting back on the horse um <laughs> that in itself is it's not watching you know rubbish tv it, it's it's being out doing something and it's doing something that for me is, is absolutely enjoyable and wonderful but is also challenging because trying to build my skills and and what I've realized in it is that a lot of the you know so one of my instructors used to say to me you can ride and and the problem isn't your ability the problem's in your head Um, and and it's true so so for me it's a it is a mental challenge it's it's a different challenge of um Of trying to to ride and enjoy and build up what I can do, so it completely takes me away from thinking about anything else, Um, and I love it. Yeah, so absolutely. Hence, hence trying to get back into it. So, have you found, or are you looking for anything that would would give you that satisfaction that isn't work, but is giving you that, that that well enjoyment and break at the same time? So, I love walking.
1: Walking's my thing, so every single day, Matthew and I make sure that we hit ten thousand steps, which is five kilometers. I can't run, I've got really dodgy knees, I'm really bad at running, but I do really enjoy walking, so sometimes we'll do it together, sometimes we'll do it separately, sometimes we'll do it with the children um it gives me head space, sometimes I listen to podcasts <laughs> as I'm walking, which uh, you know is that downtime I don't know um but I do have time away from the screen um but I don't. Uh, find anything as interesting as business and talking about business. Um, I, I have my friends that we, we hang out and we do stuff. Um, but yeah, it's very difficult. Um, and I think that if you speak to some entrepreneurs, they, they don't like doing much other than work. And I think that's very difficult when you get to those kinds of situations. And I'm in that situation. And I do find it hard. Husband keeps threatening to take me dancing, um, which kind of is appealing, but that's like, oh, that's commitment every single week. (laughs) Okay, I'll give it a go. (laughs) So we can come back in a year and see whether you're dancing now or not. (laughs) He said it starts in February and it's still May and nothing's
0: happened. So I'm pretty safe at the moment. (laughs) I saw something um, that I posted. I can't remember whether I posted it on LinkedIn or not, but it was about dance walking. And oh. so so this is something you could try and convince them to do, where instead of just walking down the street or walking anywhere, you dance walk. And um, the crowd...
1: Oh, my children would disown me
0: can you imagine it's
1: bad enough i can't even walk next to them down the street without embarrassing them just because i'm walking imagine if i danced walk that's hilarious <laughs> oh it's got to be done just to wind them up i'll try and find the link and send it to you because it is hilarious <laughs> brilliant absolutely brilliant yes please do that's
0: great it sounds bad um So just, I guess, in general, just before we wrap up, you know, you've given some great tips to people already and, you know, been very open about the the challenges and things that you've faced. But are there any final, final things that you'd like to say to the listeners?
1: Yeah, I think that the biggest thing is if you want to escape your day job and you want to start your own business, you need two really strong whys to keep you motivated one why is a personal why so uh that personal why for me is why do i do what i do well i want my children to have nice holidays i want them to be able to wear nice trainers and have nice clothes and have amazing opportunities so i get out of bed every day to make my business work so that i can buy my daughter an iphone for her birthday that kind of thing okay so that's my personal why but then we have a bigger why and that's your global why what is the impact that you want to make on the world? Why do you want to start this business? Um, and if you've got both of those whys, so the big one, which is the global and then the personal one, no matter what you come across, one of those will work to keep you moving forward. And I think that the biggest mistake is most people only have one why and you need both of them because there will become times when, you know, you, you go, oh, i just get a job. That will still enable her to have the phone. So that's not a big enough why for you, and you have to go, yes, but then I'm not making the impact, I'm not sharing my gift. So that then motivates you. So I definitely believe in the two why uh, ways to motivate you. If you haven't got big whys, you will fail. As there's no two ways about it because it's blooming hard. Um, you know, I'm nine years in, and some days I still feel like I'm pushing water up a hill. No matter how successful you are, you still have problems. They're different problems, but the problems actually get bigger. You know, when I was on housing benefit, it was much easier to grow my business than it is now because it's my money I'm playing with, not the government's. <laughs> okay, so yeah, just understand it's hard and tap into those two whys.
0: Thank you very much. it's the first time I've come across the two whys. So really interesting to hear about that. Um, you know, I've heard a lot about people knowing your why and it's something that I've written about as well, but having the two, and as you say, knowing that some days, one is going to be what drives you and other days the other one is really really helpful so yeah
1: it's, it's one thing I realized um when I when I was failing I wasn't thinking big enough I was thinking only about my personal why so tapping into my big why I yeah I don't know anyone else that talks about the two whys that's my one <laughs> So, so you... out at it and spread it around it doesn't <laughs> make, really does make a difference
0: Thank you very much, Amanda. It's been really lovely talking to you, and I really t- appreciate you taking the time out to be here today. Thank you for having me. I was talking to Amanda C. Watts, number one authority on A grade client attraction strategies for accountants and CPAs, founder of the British Accounting Marketing Awards, best selling author, and speaker. Her website is 22.agency. If you are considering running your own podcast, but aren't sure if it is right for you, why don't you check out my new course, So You Think You Want Your Own Podcast, by visiting startyourownpodcast.bridginggaps.uk. You'll find all contact details for both Amanda and I in the show notes. Next week's guest is Richard Woods, award-winning entrepreneur, BBC's Apprentice finalist, and best-selling author. You've been listening to Deborah Levitt on Bridging Gaps, the business podcast.